Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When time is called, and pint be drained, when air is still, yet words unsaid, beat on, dear friend, one street light more, push on, push on. To the moon underwater. Song Robin, even song. Mm, matins. Matins to you, and matins to me, and matins may they be. How's the dusk? The dusk is a must, so is doubting your trust, so is acting haphazardly. Wow. That's a Bonnie Prince Billy lyric. Is it? I thought you just were making that up. All oh, right, okay. Uh, no, and as soon as I said it, it became engraved on one of the uh, ceiling planes here. Uh, the moon underwater. Oh, that's one of the nice things about kind of memorable quotes here is that as soon as you think of a memorable quote, it kind of immediately gets engraved. A bit like the end of a cup final when there's a man engraving the cup. Yes. And they show sort of tiny footage of his little tool yeah. very up close on the silver dish or bowl. Yes, and as you rightly say, as soon as we say a memorable quote here at the moon underwater, it becomes engraved or sometimes burnt in to wood it's never written in white chalk though that white chalk pen i have trouble with kind of i say one something memorable and realize i got it wrong and sometimes it does the typo getting it corrected can be quite difficult you have to submit a form and say it backwards say it backwards yeah you say delete delete don't write delete and sometimes also you just end up saying something profound that isn't really a phrase it's just a sort of coincidence and you think oh not that one yeah. It's not that thing about my private life on the wall, writ large. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's almost like when you accidentally summon Siri, isn't it? Yes. When you accidentally get a memorable phrase engraved on your pub. Uh, well, how does this memorable engraving find you? 
Yes, pretty good, pretty good. Any pubs in your week? Any weeks in your pub? The weeks in pubs, the pubs in weeks. Well, I haven't been to any pubs recently, but um, had a lovely weekend with Ruth, my girlfriend, where... Do you ever do that thing where you just kind of... You, you actually give yourself jobs to do to kind of make that first can sort of ever more refreshing. <laughs> we did all of the hoovering and then, like, cleaned the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> That's just to give us an excuse to have a delicious cold can. To give you that sort of 5pm on a Friday office feeling. Exactly, yeah, yeah. We hung some curtains. Well, it's a delight to be here in the Moon Under Water because I haven't been to any pubs this week. I've had a few brief can sashes with the neck oils, with the Gloucester Golds, with some Inches Cider. Ooh, what's that? It's a new cider called Inches. It's sort of, it's a, like a rung above your Magnus and your Bulmers. Okay. It comes in cans, and I have to say, it's a very pleasing taste. It's sort of sweet without being chemically, and I think their selling point is that all of the apples come from within 40 miles of the... Of you. Cidery. Oh, right, the cidery. Of you, yeah, whether you are. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I'm hearing tell of a new cider pub in Bristol. Have you heard anything about this? No. I'm looking at the Bristol Post website in my mind. New cider bar called Beard and Sabre, opening in the city centre. New cider pub that just does cider. How do you feel about that? From the Beard Group. No, it's nothing to do with the Beard Group, no. As in, there are a few pubs under the name Beard, aren't there? No, but this is spelt Beard like a proper Beard, not with two E's. Oh! Yeah, it's in Denmark Street. Oh, right. So I wonder... So that's like right where the back entrance of the Hippodrome is and Smoke and Mirrors around there. So if anyone's been to that new cider pub, please write in and let us know via mist mail. Oh, mark it in the mist if you've been to Beard and... What's it? Beard and... Sabre. Beard and Sabre. Beard and Sabre. Ooh. Speaking of markings in the mist, Robin, have you sighed for any mail today? I gave a great big sigh and lo, the mail ditched appear. Oh, lovely. Um, had some... <laughs> yeah, had some lovely mails in, actually. So this one from Louis. Do you remember we were talking about the old firehouse and candlelit pubs in Exeter? And Louis sends in a lovely mist mail, which says... Hello, John and Robin. I hope this missed mail finds you well. Robin's mention of the old firehouse brought me right back to my time in second year, where frequent trips would be made to this establishment. Robin is right. There is a magical atmosphere created by candles held in wine bottles. The wax dripping down the bottles and obscuring the label made it all the more beautiful. It is famed among Exeter students for its enormous rectangular pizzas, which would feed at least three of us. At times you would hear of some godlike figure who had engulfed a whole one to themselves. (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea of engulfing something to yourself. Yeah, I suppose appropriately for the firehouse. But I like what he says, he continues to say about Exeter. The old firehouse, however, was not my local. My local was the Black Horse, a pub with everything you both hate. Sport on the TV, and when that came to an end, music that would be a touch on the loud side. But that did not stop this pub being excellent. I would consider it one of few places in Exeter where locals and students exist in harmony, sharing in pints and conversation as if it was not a city divided on these lines. Although it would only ever be a few people, the sight of euphoric individuals bouncing around to the Venger boys would fill me with joy. I know this pub may sound like hell, but to us it was home. I have just graduated and I write this on my 21st birthday. I already long for the evening spent there with conversation, a game of cheat, 
and pints of Carlsberg, not because we liked them, but because we could afford them. Oh. I'd say be wary of the powerful trip of looking back on university days. Oh, yeah. But I absolutely know exactly what you mean. There's something so nice about when you're that age. And happy birthday, by the way. But uh, there's something so nice about when you're that age and you discover a place. And even if it may not be the ideal pub we're describing, it's kind of your place, you know. Well, also, why not let us know via the mist about your perfect pubs with one floor (laughs) yeah i like that is there a pub a local near you which if you could just change one thing it would make it absolutely sublime Mm. Uh, there's a few of those near me i have to say yeah yeah the achilles heel quite a good name for a pub yes it is a good name for a pub (laughs) (laughs) i have another great mist mail in here from james in carlisle I really like this. Good morrow, aft or eve, delete as appropriate. I write to you in a state of almost euphoric chill. Oh, nice. <laughs> I like that. I've been a fan of one of the original Vibemaster Generals in John Radio Robbins ever since the days of your on ye old XFM. But I'd only t- once or twice harkhead the dulcet tones of Robin the minstrel Allen. And I have to say... The famous frequent utterance of our exalted landlord. That's true. That's true. So he's, he's sort of saying your catchphrase is, and I have to say. Have you noticed you say that, John? Maybe I do say that quite a lot. Yeah. Sort of almost giving what you're about to say a little bit of a sort of bugle sound. Yeah, bugle sound. Yeah. Well, but he says, I have to say, what an excellent vibe you have both created in this digital media platform. Okay, to dispense with with the flower for a second, I think like the flowery chat. I'm not a pubsman and I've never been a massive drinker. So when you two gents talk about pubs, in one sense, I don't get it. However, in another sense, I totally get it. It's hard to describe, but what I really get from this pod is such a reverent sense of calm. I don't know exactly what it is about you both. I've heard John be frantic before. (laughs) (laughs) And and whether it's the calming influence of the minstrel, uh, that's me, or just that you are chatting all things pub, but I find it so relaxing and calming. I just wanted to drop a line to let you know you are appealing to a wider audience than just your pub going public. I'm really enjoying the pod and thought I'd say thank you for providing such a service. Keep it up. And if you're anywhere near Derwent Water in the Lake District, seek out a pub called the Kirkstyle Inn and get yourself a pint of Lowe's Water Gold. Now that is an ale I can get behind and a pub I don't mind at all. Thanks again. Yours in pub meditation, James Carlyle. James in Carlisle, not James Carlisle. <laughs> but that's a brilliant missed mail. And it's so nice to know that, you know, what, what, what I was worried that this would be too kind of boozy and pubby. But it's really not about that. And I'm glad that it's, it's found an audience for people like James there. Absolutely. And I think the thing is that the moon underwater just chills me out. Mm. You know, if the world lacks something you need, just invent it in your mind install yourself as the landlord, and you'll be immediately chilled out. Yeah. Has it helped you? What, mentally? Yeah, doing this podcast. It's not a podcast. Stop calling it a podcast. Oh, sorry. What is it again? A dream emporium? It's the moon under... We're in a pub. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I forgot. I don't know how other people get to hear about it. (laughs) Maybe the pub transmits through its timbers and its oaks. Mm. Or its ringing bells and sounding brasses. Yes. That's how I imagine it's transmitted to further realms. But to be honest, mate, I've never heard of anything like that. It's helped me immensely. Really? Just to see it in the mind's eye, in my actual eye and in my eye's mind. A place where all is rest and all is peace and all is pint. Lovely words. Anyway, folks, if you want to send us missed mail, you can send it to john at moonunderpod.com. 
com, should I say. Also, it's very likely that there are tickets still on sale for the live Moon Underwaters, where we bring the Moon Underwater to a pub near you if you live near Chiswick. But in fairness, there's good access to the M4 corridor there, so you can be in and out very quickly. If you would like to support the upkeep of the Moon Underwater, then do head over to patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod. And it's timely that I speak about upkeep because, Robin, before our guest comes this week, you never guess who I've got to chat to. Who have you got to chat to? The desire detect. <laughs> so whenever a property contains this much desire, you have to speak to a desire detect. Hmm which in sort of layman's terms is an architect of desire. Sort of like a quantity surveyor, but... Yes, like a quantitative surveyor of desire to check that the interaction between desire, memory, loss, imagination and the actual sort of physical fixtures and fittings of the moon underwater aren't in any way in conflict. So I'm just going to go and chat to him because he's finished his surveillance... And I'll be back presently with any news, views and reports before we welcome this week's guest into the pub. Oh, Robin, I'm having terrible trouble. Oh, what's happened now? Well, it's the... To, to say it's the beams doesn't quite do it justice because it's there are beams and beams in the moon underwater, as you well know. Mm, beams on the ceiling and sunbeams. Well, sunbeams, no, not at the minute, uh, with the sun being down. Mm. But uh, with beams on the ceiling and the beams... <laughs> and the beams uh, bursting through the, the pint glasses. But they're, they're not sunbeams. No, they're pint beams. <laughs> okay. And they're... They're, they're mingling ever so with the beams on the ceiling, which can be a pleasant experience, but sometimes it can be quite confusing. Mm, yeah. So we've got a sort of beam-on-beam beam action, uh, as far as I can see. As far as I can make out. Mm, mm, That's beamish. my reading of the situation. Uh, anyway, what can I get for you this evening? I'll have a pint of the old... A pint of the old, OK. Yeah, I'll have a pint of the old, please. pint of the old uh, coming right up for you here. And I should uh, retrieve a a selection of glasses from the shelves for our guest this evening. Uh, I don't know whether it's going to be pint beams or tumbler beams or carafe beams, but what I might do is just line them all up in a row uh, and then uh, she can choose whatever whatever is her want. And I think, oh, I I better get on with that now because I think I see... I think I see her approaching, yes, through the misted bow window affair uh, that we have going on. It's Lisa Holdsworth. Evening, chaps. Welcome. Good evening to you, Lisa. You are a BAFTA-nominated TV and theatre writer. You are the chair of the Writers Guild of Great Britain, which sounds wonderfully grand. And people will know your work You've uh, written Waterloo Road, Call the Midwife, New Tricks, Fat Friends, Robin Hood, Emmerdale and Midsummer Murders. So I think I have to start by asking, writers and pubs, pubs and writers, they have gone hand in hand for centuries. 
what what does the pub mean to you? We'll get on to your perfect pub on a sort of personal level, but what does the pub mean to you as a tool of the writer or a, a place to set scenes? Fictionally, pubs are enormously useful. So obviously the pub I've written the most for is the Woolpack. Um, it is a great place to cross people. All, all life is there. It's a good place for a fight. So yeah, there's nothing better than a pub in a in a in a soap. That's why all the soaps have their pubs. And do you do you think that as a nation, a lot of our ideas of pubs and sort of how a pub is part of a community are perhaps based more on soap opera than they are on real life? I think almost definitely because that that idea of the the ideal pub is where you go in and, and you see at least a couple of people that you know and you get the local gossip and all that mm. kind of thing. That's that's the absolute avatar of a, of a pub, isn't it? That it's and it's two minutes walk from your house. You don't want to get a taxi anywhere or anything like that. The village pub, I think, is is even in urban settings. I still think the Queen Vic in in East End is essentially a village pub because it's on the corner and everybody mm. goes there. Whereas I suspect um, in the real East End now it'd be turned into a, a tapas bar or something like that. It just wouldn't <laughs> exist. I'd love to see uh, the Queen Vic getting sort of gentrified and gastrified. Definitely chilly pork scratchings and some awful beer that's made out of mangoes or something like that. <laughs> well, someone made the point that EastEnders nowadays, would they, that why would they be so miserable? Because they'd all be millionaires owning the, their properties in the East End <laughs> or something. So what would you say is some of the sort of common elements or perhaps even cliches of the soap opera pub? What For someone who perhaps doesn't watch EastEnders or Emmerdale or Coronation Street. What are those what are those key things you expect to see and and how is it interesting to maybe turn them on their head a bit? Every soap pub needs the brassy landlady, basically. So from <laughs> Bet Bet Lynch onwards, the Annie Walker in, in Coronation Street was was the start of it, but the minute yeah. Bet Lynch got her hands on the on the the Rovers return, then that die was cast. So you see it in all the pubs. Um, mm. A bit sexy, a bit dangerous, um, a, a, always got a tumultuous love life, so there's plenty of comings and goings. Um, yeah, so, so definitely um, the brassy landlady. And then the the landlord who she loves to distraction, but who is no good for her. Um, he's always having affairs. Dirty Den, of course, is the absolute pinnacle of that in EastEnders, the the cheating um, guy who goes down the cellar to make a phone call to his mistress, uh, all of that kind of thing. So that that is definitely what you need um, in a, in a soap pub and a fight at least once a week. When you're filming pub scenes, uh, what happens in the background? So the actors who have to be in the background, what are they told to do? Are they told to do the kind of rhubarb? Or are they told to actually pretend they're in the pub? The problem with uh, the Woolpack is the beer is real. Right. Oh. Nice, nice, nice. So it just doesn't look like for a Dale's pub, if you're pulling a, a, a yeah. rubbishy pint and putting it up up on the bar, it looks terrible. So it, And of course, because it's a Yorkshire pub, it has to have a decent head on it. It can't be mm. some awful southern rubbish with no head on it. So what beer is like, what beer is? I it believe it's Black Sheep. Oh, God. This is, in, this is just life-changing news. So... Are you saying that the extras in Emmerdale are, drink, are paid to drink real beer? So you can always tell a new extra because they don't pace themselves. Oh, my <laughs> or God. A, or, or a new actor as well. So every, every um, Emmerdale actor who is a drinker um, 
basically has that experience of their first time on the Wolfpack set, not pacing wow. themselves and getting legless by the end of the... Oh end my of John, the is, John is filling out an application form as we speak, I think, to be in. <laughs> There's a wonderful scene in Bottom where Eddie and Richie are watching a soap opera and Eddie just starts going, Bastard! Bastard! And Richie said, what's wrong? And he's going, is that guy... In the Queen Vic, every week he leaves half a pint on his table and just walks away. Bastard! That's great. There's a great bottom joke as well about they, they renamed Emmerdale Farm to Emmerdale because it takes less time to read. Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's funny, yeah. So I just need to recalibrate now that I know the beer in the Woolpack is real. Uh, is it? Is that the same in other soap opera pubs or... Or is it just in the wall? I cannot speak for other inferior soaps because obviously I've only ever written for (laughs) for Emdale, but we do it right in Yorkshire. Oh my goodness. There are pubs of the mind and there are pubs of the world, and you are Leeds born and bred. There There is a pub in Leeds which haunts both my mind and the world, and it's such a nice pub that to my shame, I've not actually been to any other pubs in Leeds because I I never go anywhere else. It's uh, White Locks Ale House. It is gorgeous. It is something else. To the extent to which I actually now regret not having explored, because there's another pub, literally a metre opposite it, which I've never been anywhere near, but I've heard is quite nice. Oh, oh Brigitte, all those little side streets are full of us. Oh, the Angel yeah. up there as well, which is, that's a really lovely pub. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's some absolute dens of iniquity in Leeds. Um, and I have spent a considerable amount of time in most of them. But yeah, we're really lucky. Leeds City Centre has some absolutely mm. smashing pub. The Duck and Drake down by the market, I mean, he's absolutely as rough as a builder's ass, but I really like that pub. <laughs> and they, they regularly have live music on there, which is fantastic. And I used to go when I was a, an A-level student, illegally drinking, on a Sunday, because there's a band called the Bilkos there. They were absolutely fantastic. And then at, at half time, they used to do a trad jazz set to start off with, and then uh, parody comedy rock and roll songs for the second <laughs> half. And in in at half time, they put free pot pie on the bar and free black pudding. That's the kind of pub you need um, oh in your God. city centre. Those little alleyways are so captivating because. For people who haven't been to Leeds city centre, Leeds is a very historic city, but it does have a sort of pretty homogenous sort of pedestrianised shopping centre. So you've got like M&S, a bank, car phone, warehouse, that sort of thing. But it has these little alleyways in between some of the shops that lead off like sort of tributaries. And it is almost like stepping into a sort of Dickensian scene do those pubs inform how you think about pubs creatively or how you think about sort of the communities you write about? I'd, I'd, city centre pubs are really, um, I think, it's where my head goes. So if I think about writing pubs. So, so obviously I'm on the doorstep of the Dale, so, so there's all the lovely country pubs where they charge you a fortune for dry fish and chips. But you mm. cannot <laughs> be a lead city centre pub. So there's, yeah, the little ones off the corner. Also, one of those alleys, there's a theatre that has a pub below it as well, the Swan, uh, the White Swan, which is absolutely lovely. That's a, um, a Leeds Brewery pub, and it's really nice in there. Mm. Um, and then if you keep going down Brigitte as well, you hit the gay quarter of Leeds. So there's a couple of really great gay pubs down there as well, the Queen's uh, and the New Penny. Uh, and so those, that sort of 
that little quarter mile of square mile of, of real estate is what I think about when I think about pubs. I live in a I live in a little village outside a well, it's not a village. It, it's sort of it was a village, but now everything's joined up. I live in Farsley in in Leeds, and it's become very gentrified over the last few years. Mm-hmm. I've always lived here. I, I grew up here. And so now we don't have pubs. We have, uh, you know, a, a place with a pizza oven um, and yeah. a couple of other places. But the the pubs have all gone a bit posh. So I like a yeah. bit of, of roughness from a, from a pub, and you get that in Leeds City Centre still. A touch of authenticity. So all of these pubs, Lisa, swirling around your mind. We're we're about to stock your dream pub. But tell us what it looks like. Which of these influences is going to feature in your? pub of the mind i quite so the working men's club with the slightly 70s carpet the red velvet bonquettes mm. uh the dark brown tables the the quiz uh machine in the corner um and uh somewhere you know lots of posters professing the club's uh history and you know that there's going to be a turn on on saturday night uh, you know, Robbie Williams impersonator or, or, a, or a comedian that's not too blue because, you know, the kids will be in. <laughs> that, that's my idea. I feel at home in that kind of pub. I don't I don't want anything too, um, you know, esoteric or anything like that. That That's where, I, that's where I'm at home, definitely. Because there's a, a pub in Oxford that me and Robin often turn to in times of need called <laughs> book, The Bookbinders. And yeah. we always have known it as this kind of 18th century traditional ye olde pub. But when you watch Inspector Morse and he goes into the bookbinders, it is essentially what you've just described there. So in modern times, the pub has attempted to make itself look super old. But there is there is a kind of... There is a cosy charm to those pubs, which are actually quite hard to find nowadays. So we've got uh, 70s carpet, we've got red velvet bonquettes. I'm guessing they're, they're, a few of them are slightly frayed or torn. Absolutely, just on the edges. And what I absolutely don't want, you know when pubs buy tatting? So, you know, we're going to be nautical, so here's a lot of wooden boats, here's a mm, glass yeah. case with the with the knots in, all of that. I, I don't want any of that odd. Anybody who's bought books by the yard or anything like that, it should be fairly functional. Um, maybe some really dodgy flock wallpaper, um, <laughs> if that's if that's required. And those nice old uh, sort of draft pump things that are like sort of they're light boxes. Yes. Do you remember they're sort of almost like cuboid light boxes with harp or carling or whatever, which I I remember from university. But they're much nicer than these sort of big sort of steel pylons of. Of, uh, with that have those sort of dribbling bits of condensation running down them. I much prefer those sort of little squat, one for cider, one for carling, one for harp, one for Guinness. There's there's a really good um, uh, Instagram account based around Guinness. I think it's called All Things Guinness or something. What is it, Rob? Not Beautiful Pints. That one. No, not Beautiful Pints. It's a, it's a guy who's just obsessed with Guinness memorabilia and he's got these old 60s Guinness pumps in his house that just look absolutely beautiful yeah do you remember when the guinness pumps the 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 lettering was almost in gold those really old ones Mm. it looked like an old pack of fags yeah they look like like spaceships or cryogenic chambers now (laughs) yeah 
Well, speaking of um, pumps, what what? Let's move on to your two draft items that you're going to have in this in this dream pub. So the the first is my absolute pint of choice, which is Yorkshire Gold by Leeds Brewery. I absolutely mm. adore that. It's a real proper. You can have a good session on that um, beer. And then my second um, is the Theakston's Christmas Ale. Because um, I took my dad, uh, who I've recently lost, to uh, Theakston's Brewery for the tour. Um, and at 11 o'clock in the morning, we were both drinking a pint in massive <laughs> of this Christmas ale. And it was absolutely delicious. And wow. my, my dad was very hard to please, like most dads. But um, he was very, very happy with that, that Christmas brew, definitely. That's great. Do you say that was in Masham? I believe so, yeah. Ah, okay. Is that where the Black Sheep Brewery is then? Well? well, isn't that the story? that the, the guy who set up Black Sheep used to be a Theakston, and they sold ah, Theakston yeah. Scottish Brewery, uh, and he wasn't very happy about it, so he bought... And it's why it's called Black Sheep. He's the Black Sheep of the family. Ah, yeah. So the Black Sheep brewery is in the same place and he had there's some it could be apocryphal some story about there was a a a little bit of road he needed to get to um his brewery that theakston's officially owned and he did some finagling to get that bit of road so he could (laughs) still get up to his his uh his tons you mentioned earlier about um you know pints in the in in Yorkshire having to have a good head. Where are you on the whole kind of sparkler debate or beer needing to... Does it? Are you into that kind of creamy ale no, I, kind of just, texture? Or just just a, a good good inch of foam at the top so that yeah. you, know, you get the moustache, but it, do, it doesn't mm. need to be uh, fannied about with, frankly. No. <laughs> Not fannied about with. Was your father a pub man? Was he a pint man? And was, was he sort of... Uh, uh, your introduction to pubs as a as a younger person? Yeah, we we used to go um, with the camping club, so we go camping every weekend, and often uh, where the the sort of uh, temporary holiday sites were were next to a pub, so um, all our friends went camping at the same time. So we'd go, and we spent a lot of time uh, as kids sat outside on a wooden table with a packet of crisps and a glass of orange juice, and told to be quiet because <laughs> you're not allowed to do that anymore because the adults were inside. But yeah, we yeah. we went all over the place. We've seen loads of pubs uh, when we were kids in a good way, not in a in an abusive yeah. way. Yeah. Well, Yorkshire Gold Leeds Brewery is four point one four percent, which makes it absolutely bang on the money for me. And Theakston's Christmas Ale, and I'm pleased to see this, is four point seven percent because sometimes with a Christmas ale, it's sort of a whopping like five point five or five point eight, and it's just a it lays a bit too heavy in the stomach. But they sound very, very quaffable, I must say. I do like Theakston. So is the Christmas ale, is that a kind of slightly different version? Is it more malty? Or is yeah, it... It, it's, it had a slightly... Sp- not in a disgusting, oh my God, what have they put in this kind of way, <laughs> yeah. but a sort of slightly spicy, fruity edge to it, which I really, right. really liked. So it was a right. bit like... It would would have gone brilliant with a really good slice of Christmas cake and a bit of Wensleydale cheese. Mm. So I'm, I'm just looking on... Uh, well, I'm just looking in my mind uh, at Theakston's and uh, there's a, quite an interesting story behind the Christmas ale. So it says, uh, Theakston's Christmas ale owns its origins to a rather curious event that took place in December 2011. Out of the blue, we had an inquiry from one of the many Theakston enthusiasts in the USA who wrote asking for details of a beer called Theakston Christmas ale. We were puzzled as at the time there was no such thing. Further inquiries revealed 
that a reference to this beer had been made in the Christmas episode of a nationally broadcast US TV series called NCIS. In the closing sequence, the manager of the NCIS team was seen hammering a wooden tap into a wooden firkin and stating, This is Theakston Christmas Ale. It's been flown all the way from Yorkshire and England, where they've been brewing beer like this since Charles Dickens's time. And with that, the programme ends with scenes of the members of the team happily clinking glasses of the ale to a backdrop of the famous Christmas song, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow. It aroused the attention of the media in this country, and before we knew it, camera teams were at our door in Masham. Our director, Simon Theakston, was asked whether Theakston's Christmas ale was an existing member of our wide range of cask ales, to which he replied, it wasn't. But it is now. Wow. So that's almost the perfect writer's choice. Yes. You could just start adding in your your dream drinks into your scripts. Yeah. And hoping that one day they get made. Oh, this is a pint of um, Lisa Holdsworth Gold by <laughs> Leeds Brewery. <laughs> Hi, John. David Cameron here. Really enjoying Moon Underwater, absolutely brilliant. I know you're manically busy, doing a great job by the way, it's bloody hard. I think the team's coping extremely well, but do you have a moment for a word? I'd love to come on the Moon Underwater. Um, I'm on this number and V3, all good wishes DC. So you've got two very solid ales on draft at your pub, but what are you having in your bottles or cans? So... It's the Budweiser Budvar, not the American mm. rubbish, the real Budweiser. Yeah. That I used to drink um, in the bar of uh, the Bradford Playhouse, which was also um, a cinema. And they used to put on these um, really great double bills. So they put um, Red Dragon and um, uh, Silence of the Lambs on, or they'd have but all the Terminator films on. And me and my, my friend Tim used to go in there. And you could take a drink into the cinema, which is the mm. ultimate dream, a proper drink uh, in the cinema that you've not uh, smuggled in, in your handbag. Um, so that would... We drank a lot of that, and it was quite, gee, I seem to remember it was about £1.20 a bottle, but then I was 18 at the time, so that's quite a long time ago. <laughs> that's, bring, that's ringing bells for me as well, because the Cube Cinema in Bristol sells Budvar. So how, taking a Budvar in to see a film or a gig there is something I, I'm, I'm, I fondly remember too. I really, I remember drinking quite a lot of Budvar as a teenager for some reason, Rob. I think because they also had it at... Um the watershed in Bristol. Mm, yeah. It's really nice in a bottle. I think in a pint, if you have a pint of it, it's a bit strong. But what I really like about it is that from this may be my memory playing tricks on me, but the bottle and the design hasn't really changed much in the last sort of 30 years. And it does look very cool. It looks quite... Uh, just looks like a really solid bottle of lager. Yeah. <laughs> also, it has that slightly Soviet edge to it that, that's mm, very nostalgic yeah. as well. I really like the the other sort of pills I like is the Pilsner Urquell. Urquell, big fan of that, and that's got a similar, it's got a similar label to uh, Budvar. I wonder if it's made by similar people. Anyway, that's a super choice. That's five percent. So rightly going for a bottle there and not a pint, I think. Uh, and what's your second bottle? So you know when you go on holiday in France and you get the big slab of the little tiny bottle. Oh my yes. god! Oh, it's like you can see inside my mind. <laughs> that would be that would be fantastic. I just I really I, I 
I've been on many a, a Euro camp holiday, oh. um, listening to uh, terrible music and drinking those little bottles. So, Beer yeah. door. Beer deluxe. Yeah. The king of those, because we used to drink, Robin and I used to live together in Bristol, and we used to drink those stubbies. And they're always like 3.2% yeah. or 3.4%. But so we tried all of the different supermarket ones, and weirdly, you you now struggle to find them in supermarkets. It used to be a real, real. So there was a whole shelf which was just those big boxes of stubbies. But beer des Moulins, Moulins, which yeah. Moulins, which is the Sainsbury's one. Oh my god! Just the word Moulins, and I can yeah, it takes me back. It's another one of those you can only drink it in summer. After basically yeah. after the August bank holiday, pretty much it starts. Losing its appeal, and yeah, then if you get yeah. in September, forget it. If you get really, it's, it's staggering how quickly one can go down if you're not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, there's not much in them. What is it like three thirty? Yeah, and the, it's the cl- the sound, the clink of. Yeah. Oh, we must find somewhere. We must find a bottle bank today while we're out doing our touristing. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, my my dad went camping and, and had. I think he must have gone in front. No, it was in Wales, obviously, and. He took all, they took all their beer doors to the recycling, and this guy, this Welsh guy, goes, "Every picture tells a story." <laughs> <laughs> so. I, I mean, I am, and I, I'm just looking up because usually at this point I would press our guest at the Moon Underwater for a specific brand, but in this case, there's an exception rightly made because it's the very nature of the fact it's a generic French name. You're not entirely sure if it came from France, <laughs> yeah. but I'm I'm looking at the Bearders Moulins on Untapped, which is one of the main sort of um, alcohol websites rating wise, and I'm I'm disappointed to see it's only got a two point five six star rating. But you you can't rate memories out of five. No, you can't rate memories. I remember as well going to France being staggered that Cronenberg and 1664 are two different beers. Oh. It was mind-blowing stuff. So which one are we are we drinking 1664? Is that a slightly stronger one? I don't know. Because isn't it Cronenberg 1664 in this country? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, man. I just want to think about all the times I've drunk stubbies now. I remember on scout camp, my last ever scout camp, the, one of the leaders, because they knew I was sort of leaving Scouts, because I was sort of 14 or 15, they let me have uh, a stubby, and I took it away with me, and just sort of took in the scene of the entire camp with the fires and the lads running around, and just drank this sort of 250 millilitres of weak beer, and felt a bit like my swan song. It can, you can, it can only be drunk outside a tent, can't it? Yes. <laughs> And if if it goes along with the smell of a barbecue or wood smoke, it's 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 ten times better. Mm. So that two point mm. five rating is not situational. They they have not drunk mm. it in the right circumstances, in my yes. opinion. Yes, so yeah. true. It's there needs to be a separate website where you can rate your memories of different <laughs> booze. Well, how about in the moon underwater? We could kind of drift campfire smoke through whenever you crack open. Oh, I don't a, mind a that. Moulins. Yeah. I don't. Well, is your pub, Lisa, is it going to be situated next to a campsite or is it going to have some sort of land attached nearby where you can sort of mix both worlds? Yeah, a, do- a dodgy field where um, a five-side could break out or yeah. the, ki- the kids are running around at 
at sort of past their bedtime, but getting all their energy out. Mm. Uh, and it's safe to do so. There's nothing out there that'll hurt them. They're just running around screaming um, as the sun goes down on a summer's day. That That is definitely, I think, an important thing. And I tell you what you will have in your dodgy field uh, with the kids running around is one brass tap just in the middle of nowhere at the side of the field and all of the mud underneath it has just gone completely squelchy from people brushing their teeth in the mornings. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I want to go to your pub now. But we will take a slight break and allow our desire just to settle down a bit as we head over to Robin Allender for this week's Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down, it's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger, that wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey have been deducted five points. Uh, Thank you, John. Yes, uh, every week we have a pub quiz at the Moon Underwater. And what would a pub be without service stations? Um, so this week's pub quiz is about service stations. So Lisa, you, you know, feel free to take part, but we're not going to, um, you know, there's no pressure, no prizes. Um, we'll go through the questions and then do the answers at the end. Um, so this is very much up John's alley, service stations, I think, to the extent that he more, more or less runs a day's in at the bottom of it. Oh, I would love to run a day's in at services. I once spent a weekend at um, Trowel Services Northbound <laughs> in, really? in the Premier Inn. And I have to say, I was doing gigs nearby and it just worked out. It was only about 12 minutes by car. So I thought, well, I'll just stay at the, the, the Premier Inn or the Travelodge. I can't remember. It was a Travelodge. And just being able to walk into the services... Into the M&S, the Costa, the Starbucks, the yeah. WH Smith. Get a load of cans back into the room, fill up the sink with water and put them in. Oh, the anonymity of it, Robin. Yeah, you love that, don't you? How, how do you feel about service stations, Lisa? Are you a fan? Or? I am a fan. There's nothing better than pulling into one after, especially if you're the driver. Mm. And then you still have, have responsibility. You can set the time. We're having half an hour. We're having 15 minutes. Get out. Have a week. Get back in. Um, yeah. Go to the shop and get me some massively overpriced crisps, please. Mm, a grab bag. Brilliant. Cool. So this is the, the pub quiz is about service stations. So this one I'm sure John will know. But you're driving from Bristol to London on the M4. You pass five service stations. What are they? Hang on, I can get, I can do them in order, east to west. Sure, I thought you might be able to. Do you need a bit of time? No, I've just. It's the one I always forget because it's where I always drop. Used to drop Will Hodgson off after gigs. Um, but uh, hang on, let me just. There we go. Okay. Uh, yes, got it. Okay, great stuff. Okay, question two: Listing all UK service stations alphabetically. What comes first and what comes last? Great question. Yeah? Great question. Have a little think. Do you need some time, John? Well, I doubt I'll get that one. Okay, this is the last question, question three. What is the UK's oldest service station? I don't know if this is commonly known or not. Well, are you talking oldest motorway services? Oh, I don't know, John. <laughs> well, because what I mean, do you mean by... Ser- do, it has to be on a motorway, I would say. Yes, it was. It was yes, it's on a motorway, yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. 
I'm looking at a website in my mind called approvedgarages.co.uk. Well, it's motorwayservices.co.uk as well. Is yeah, really yeah, I've looked at that today. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, great, great. I mean, food for thought, food for thought. Food for um, thought, food for thought. I, I, I'd be fascinated to know whether any of our listeners uh, get all the answers to this. But we will find out those answers after a short interlude. So refill your glasses, uh, pop to the loo, uh, and you may even hear some adverts. We have no control over where they go in. Uh, But if you would like to avoid those adverts, uh, you can subscribe uh, and contribute to the upkeep of The Moon Underwater on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod to remove those adverts and also for things like access to live tickets and the bonus pod behind the cellar door. We shall see you shortly. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Pop, pop, Welcome back, everyone. And I have to say, I am spread-eagled on tenterhooks right now. (laughs) I never knew so many hooks could be inside a man. Uh, But it's because Robin has touched upon my specialist subject for this week's quiz. It's motorway services. And over to provide the answers, Robin. Thanks, John. Yes, so the first question was, you're driving from Bristol to London on the M4. You pass five service stations. What are they? So, Lisa, you said you drew a blank with this. Absolutely haven't got the foggiest. I'd be very no, impressed you if name, John gets this. Could you have a guess at one or two? Uh, <laughs> no. no I, honestly, I you, you, my geography is terrible. <laughs> Mine is as well. I mean, I would not have got this. If, but, John, you, John, go for it. Uh, so, okay, so it's Lee Delamere, then it's Membry, then Cheveley, then Reading, then Heston. Nice. Very good. In that order. And Heston is an absolute disgrace. I'm I'm not having that. We stopped at Heston the other day and I thought it was really good. Well, in fairness, the last time I went to Heston, it was being refurbished. Oh, it's very nice now. It's always been a small services. 
Yeah, but it's it's uh, lots of people hold out for Reading when they're going out of London, and maybe you shouldn't. Reading's head and shoulders. It's too busy. Anyway, question two. <laughs> Listing all service stations alphabetically in the UK, what comes first and what comes last? Any ideas? Well, I've said... Is it technically a motorway services? Yes, I think it is. I've said Beaconsfield first, because I couldn't think of one that began with A. Mm, Abingdon. Ah, uh, Mm. Abingdon. What's Abingdon on? I'll look it up in my mind. <laughs> okay, you look it up in your mind. And Abingdon, then then it must be one with... There must be one with a W and... It's on the M74. Okay. Um, yeah, I, there must be one with a W, but I'm afraid my my mind has drawn a blank. It's uh, Woolly Edge. Oh, I wouldn't have got that. Never heard of it. If you're coming back to Leeds, if you hit Woolly Edge, you're nearly home. Oh, ah. that's nice. <laughs> Woolly Edge, you're nearly home. Okay, so what's question three? What is the UK's oldest service station? Any ideas for that one, Lisa or John? Would it be Watford Gap? Yes, it is Watford Gap. Incredible. Well I'd never have got that. Watford Gap was the UK's first service station opened on November the 2nd, 1959, the same day as the M1 motorway it serves. Watford Gap is also another terrible service station. Is it really? Yeah, <laughs> really bad. I don't think I've ever been there. It actually smells bad. <laughs> if you're listening, Watford Gap. Up your game. And Bridgewater, for that matter. Have a look at T-Bay. Have a look at Gloucester. See what can be done. Oh, see what can be done. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> But even some of, I mean, Norton Keynes on the M6 toll is a real treat. And I, even though it's only like £6.30 to go on the M6 toll, you just feel like a certain class of person <laughs> when you're walking around Norton Keynes. And you're like, yeah, I deserve access to a Leon, actually, uh, because I'm cut from a different cloth. Oh, yeah, yeah. We went there and had a, had a Leon, I think, on the tour. Um, Lisa, do you like? Are you a fan of the pub quiz in pubs? I go to a, when in normal times when we're not, you know, plagued mm. by the plague. There's one at, um, at Northern Monk Brewery that me and my friend go to, and and it's so inventive. They're really good, and if you win, you get to choose the title of a round for the next one. Which is oh, that's, good. Oh, that's a great that's good. Lisa. I adore Northern Monk. Yeah, I like Northern Monk. Yeah, it's really nice. There's Striding Edge. I think it's called Striding Edge. It's in a silver black can. It's two, something like 2.6%. Oh, man. That ticks so many of my boxes. I love what the great one brewery. they make out of... It's made out of leftover bread and croissants. So it has this really buttery... Um, sort of vanillary flavour. It's, it's it's a really environmentally friendly beer. They are they are they're the only kind of beer that has been fannied about with that I do quite like actually. <laughs> <laughs> they they've got a great graphic design as well. The design of the cans is good as well. Yeah, I am increasingly of the mind that I'd say ninety percent of my favourite breweries are in the north. I love Magic Rock. Yeah, just one of the. I had a pint of Ringmaster. In what's that bar I'm obsessed with in Newcastle, Rob? Fitzgerald's. It's one of the best nights of my life. I was just sat on my own. <laughs> so good. And then um, Mary Jane by Ilkley Brewery. Oh my God. They serve that in White Locks. Basically, oh, you, you cannot throw a stone in West Yorkshire without hitting a brewery now. There's Kirkstall yeah, Brewery. Yeah. Leeds, I think, has, has about four. And then you start going ill clear and then out into the dales and etc. You just 
uh, it is a good nexus for beer. I think what I like about northern breweries is they, no matter, like you say, no matter what they're funnying about with, they have two or three core beers that sort of belie their more craft exterior. So, for example, Mary Jane is just one of the great sort of best bitters I've ever tasted. And I could have it again and again and again. Yeah, do you think it's southern beers are slightly more inclined to do kind of pilsners and and kind of more European style beers? I guess would you say that was a trend? Yeah, I suppose in that they, direction. Are they going for a more what they consider to be a more sophisticated market? But yeah, <laughs> yeah. but but obviously Yorkshire, you think bitter, you know, Tetley's mm. Um, mm. and Tadcast used to, it was famously famous for having all all the breweries, John Smith's Tatley's the works. So mm. uh, yeah, we're not we're not sure a good beer up here. Absolutely not. Well, uh, we move on from beer now because in your pub with its seventies carpet next to a dodgy field where children can run all their energy out of them before uh, I'm, I'm guessing coming to get their parents out of the pub for away from the fruit machines and the red velvet bonquettes aged by time. Uh, we need to add some spirits into the mix. Now, are you much of a spirit drinker, Lisa? I, I am. I do like a, a, a lovely long, a, made into a long drink, but I'm quite traditional. So the, the latest gin trend, even though as a woman of a certain age, it is basically what people buy you now. They either buy you a bottle of gin... <laughs> Or, or um, a sign that says that you like gin. That apparently is the <laughs> cheap option. So, so I have got a, a nice collection of rhubarb, lychee, chocolatey gins. But I do like a, a decent Gordon's. I don't, mm. I'm not even that fussed about Hendrix or a Bombay Sapphire or all the rest of it. But a, a Gordon's with a proper tonic and a slice of ice and a slice. That you can't, it's very difficult to top, I would say. Well, ice, slice and tonic will all be included with your choice of Gordon's gin. Do you find that sort of... Is that because people know you like gin or are they making an assumption that you will like gin? I think, I think like I say, I think women of a certain age, either they find out that you once bought a pot elephant and then you end up with a collection of elephants or owls or whatever animal is that's happened to my mum she's got that quite a nice collection of those now or it, the other one is carver or prosecco or whatever people assume you like uh, a bit of fizz so i do i, I have a wine rack full of that because people buy that for me as well but yeah gin is gin is the woman's drink at the moment if only they knew that what you really wanted was 56 bottles of beer deluxe exactly yeah. i just want them to drive to france Film yeah. the car and come back. Okay, so we've got Gordon's gin, and with it, it's ice, it's slice, and it's tonic. And what's your second spirit? Uh, Jameson's whiskey. Oh, good choice. It's lovely and sweet. I know, I know that it's not a hardcore whiskey drinker, and and, and I do like a, a posh scotch and all the rest of it. I've had a very nice bottle of uh, Isle of Jura um, that someone gave me that has, has lasted me quite a long time. I've just had the last dribble this week. Are you a fan of the wire? Yes. As, a, as a TV writer and as a viewer, you a fan because that that there are a couple of series of that that's just an advert for leaning on a car bonnet, drinking Jameson's out of those little two hundred and fifty mil bottles. <laughs> yeah, an advert. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, what are the shows that you really sort of look up to when um, as as a as a writer and as a viewer? There's, I suppose, the the absolute classic is West Wing for me and ER. Mm. So the, both at the same. Era, you know, we talk about being in a golden age of television at the moment, and we are. It's incredible, 
but those two shows were network shows made at high volume, uh, you know, turning out an episode a week, um, and they're still... Start- in fact, I'm in the middle of a West Wing rewatch at the moment, uh, and it's mm-hmm. giving me all the feels because it's just, it's just absolutely glorious. We- American TV doesn't make anything like that anymore, so mm-hmm. it's just incredible. To what extent, when you view something like the West Wing as a whole... I mean, I've done sort of writing in terms of comedy, but I've never, ever sort of even thought about a project on that size. And it's easy to bulk at it and think, how on earth does someone think about all that? But is it more the case that, as you say, that that they're not in a disparaging way, but they're sort of making it up as they go along? Is that is that quite true of a lot of shows? It's true of all the shows. Uh, wow. The idea. So, for example, the two shows I would say from this, the the last century the turn of the century that people rave about because it was so intricate and they planned it so much 24 and lost i mean it was pretty clear by the end of lost they had Mm. no idea as when they set out what was going to happen and they genuinely were making it up as they went along but Mm. i I once saw an interview with a guy who wrote 24 and in the first episode the president uh, picks up a phone and says down to the down the phone something like if you publish that um your career is over or something like that and he's and he admitted that when they wrote that episode, they had no idea what the guy on the other end of the phone was saying, but wow, they knew they'd yeah. pay it off at some point. And and there's there's sort of um, serendipity, so you know things that will happen, like your actor won't be available, or um, or suddenly you find out they can sing, or things like that. That you, as that information starts feeding into the right, you go, oh, we can pay that off, we can do something mm. with that. Um, so so they're all just um, winging it. Uh, mm. And you go from week to week. And what are you working on at the moment? Are you working on? So I am about to go back into uh, Call the Midwife, which is mm. a really lovely show um, to work on. And I'm doing what every TV writer does, which is acres and acres of speculative development work in the hope <laughs> that just one thing will um, end up on the right person's desk and they'll give me the money to make it. I read I read some of an article you retweeted um, by one of the writers on Veep who had basically said that every every person who wrote on that got their own show apart from the women is that a is that a real problem that you're sort of perhaps not seen as being as a bigger part of a writing team even though you're you're doing just as much work as the men we're seen as um and, and we know that we we have the stats for this so, so with my writers guild hat on in 2018 we we commissioned uh, massive research into women writers and at the entry point soaps and children's tv are where most people start their tv writing career it's a good 50 50 split and coming out of writing courses and degrees and ma's and all that it's a 50 50 split and as you go up the ladder women drop away to the point where only 16 percent um in the period we looked at of british film was written by women even though it does better at the box office and better critically uh, and only um it was 24 percent of prime times sort of the high budget uh, television was being written by women and I th- it's changing it is getting better it is uh, incredibly slow and it's and it's just as it's even worse if you're a black woman or a lesbian woman or a disabled woman uh, but you are seen as um a, a niche and so the the as particularly in comedy the 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 phrase that women hear over and over again is oh we've commissioned something with a woman in it this year like mm. like that so all female experience has been encompassed in this one show mm. and it was happening yeah. in dramas oh we've got something very female skewed this season 
well, and but the the same was never said, obviously, about things with, um, you know, men finding dead prostitutes uh, in skips yeah. and yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Obviously, like that bit in Alan Partridge where he's trying to pitch his idea, and he says to Tony Hayes, he says, "Morse, uh, shoestring, Taggart." What does that tell you about regional detective series? There's too many of them. Yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Or oh, <laughs> like them, let's make some more of more them. of them. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's true. What's so, I mean, it's infuriating just on a sort of moral level, but it must be so frustrating when you actually have the facts to back up that these products get sold and are as well, if not better received than male conceived and written products. Because I would assume that basically money talks over everything else, but is the sexism so entrenched that even by saying this will make you more money, people have a, an instinctive prejudice against women. I think nobody had done... So getting the stats was the most important thing because nobody had even looked at it. So so there was a very strange situation that, that it leaked that the Guild was were doing this research and it was about to come out. And suddenly, through back channels, I got at least four former commissioners, BBC and ITV... Um, getting in touch with me in a sort of preemptive, um, I commissioned lots of women, kind of thing, and and at that point we were proofreading the the this massive report. It's like a um, hundred and odd pages, and I I wasn't because it was embargoed. I wasn't allowed to go back and go, no, no, you didn't. I've got the stats. I've got the receipts, basically. Mm. But everybody thinks that that they are right on that they're you know doing their bit and all the rest of it and and that's not necessarily a bad thing i think uh you know people do ha- have that awareness but we were warned by the people who did the research that the first reaction would be denial and anger and that's exactly what happened and then mm. gradually people came around to realizing that that wasn't the case and one of the sort of the big watershed moments is myself and um a couple of hundred female writers wrote an open letter to the industry um, and signed it all. And one of the um, uh, former commissioners came back to me. So I didn't recognise a lot of the names signed under that letter. Yeah, that's kind of the yeah, point. That's, that's and yeah. it, and it, he thought it was this big gotcha, and it it really wasn't. It was mean that you haven't. You know, if I shoved Russell T Davis under his under his nose, he immediately recognised his name, obviously, and all the mm, other mm. men. And that's not to disparage my uh, male colleagues because. I mean, I think we have the best TV writers in the world in this country. We're really lucky. But um, there are more of us, and we could be doing more. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Speaking of writing and pubs, uh, we must head to the pub library because, uh, Lisa, you've made very clear that you don't want to be involved in a pub that buys books by the yard. And I tell you this... The, the pub library in The Moon Underwater is one of the most carefully curated selection of publy tomes. And the curator in charge of it is Mr. Robin Allender. So, Robin, what's going into The Moon Underwater library this week? Oh, thanks, John. It's, so this is a bit unique for The Moon Underwater, Underwater because it's actually a double entry. We've already done this book. Uh, and it's um, The Last Landlady, again, by Laura Thompson. And what that means is, folks, just to be clear, is we'll have two copies We'll have two copies, yeah. If someone likes it so much that they take that copy, they might pinch it, we've got a backup. Yeah, um, I just, I finished reading it after I did the last extract the other week, and um, 
I just think it's so uh, so right for what we're trying to talk about with pubs in, the, in that it's about the book's about as a memoir about her, her grandmother who who ran a pub um, in the 70s and she came from a long line of publicans and the the author Laura Thompson is very much it's very elegiac because she's kind of writing about a kind of lost world that she feels doesn't really exist in the same way anymore and so it's really you know crossing this line between great descriptions of pubs and extreme nostalgia which i think john walks very very well <laughs> but, but there's um there's a lovely i mean i was trying to find it just now because when you mentioned you know pubs are all kind of pizza ovens now and, and not red velvet red velvet bonquettes she actually says at one point you know she talks about the red velvet and says i know where i'd rather be you know <laughs> even if it is a bit dingy and everything but she's very much uh, uh you know i think I think you'd like this book a lot, Lisa. Basically, so this is a bit where, yeah, this is this is a great bit where Laura Thompson is writing about her great grandfather, so her grandmother's dad, who ran a pub in London, um, and this would have been yeah around the turn of the century, so early twentieth century. So this, I'll just read this for, for, for you. The man whom she most valued was always her father, the charismatic little charmer crackling with wry vitality. She talked about him constantly, in that litany-like way of hers, repetitive but never boring, because enigmatic. He died many years before I was born, and I know little of him except a handful of his sayings, such as the toast to wives and sweethearts, may they never meet, or no place like home when you've got nowhere else to go, or at the prospect of something unpleasant, I'd rather sleep with a dead policeman. Now, I think, as I do about all true publicans, what a force he must have been, the young Paddington cellar man of the 1901 census, born soon after the legislation that finally created the pub, who rose to become the architect of a proper house, a house with a name, a beloved house, the spirit of what that law was all about. I know what he must have been like because of how much my grandmother emulated him. Also among her small collection was a photograph of the old pub itself, it was a close-up of the bar, nothing more, in Hulton Getty tones, not quite sepia, more a sombre maroon brown, but it thrilled me as a sicket would have done, so rich in recessive depths, within which lay something so meaningfully, so meaninglessly ordinary, just the world as it was when the pub was so intrinsic as to be scarcely noticeable, simply the screensaver to one's life, how I craved entry to that photograph for one evening to smell the wax polish on the wood, the overflow of beer beneath the pumps, the nostril burning cigarettes, and to be unaware of it all, to be. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's great. She's talking about the idea of pubs were just, they were so normal, you wouldn't even notice, you kind of, it wasn't to be remarked upon. Do you know what I mean? They were just part of your existence back then. I think that's what she's saying we've lost in a way. But also the the idea of stepping into a photograph. Yeah, I think she knows it's a, the, the nostalgic pull of the past. But she's also, yeah, I don't know. It's just a great bit of but writing. The, the, the photograph's age, whereas if you did step into a photograph and found yourself in the pub where that was taken, it would look different. Yeah, yeah. So it would yeah. you'd lose some some of that sort of... That what was she saying? Not quite sepia, but sort of maroon toned. It would feel different because you're you're in a real house. Yeah, oh yeah. my god, it's great! As well as the library that now has two copies of the Last Landlady by Laura Thompson, we have a jukebox here at the Moon Underwater, 
and all our guests place their CD of choice, because it's a CD jukebox, it's not one of these ones that's on the internet, and it's also not LPs, because they really are just... It breaks too often. Um, So, Lisa, what are you adding to the Moon Underwater jukebox? I will add my all-time favourite album, and I also think it's an album that everybody knows the words to, even if they've never owned it, and that's Bat Out of Hell by Meatloaf. Oh, great. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) I mean, service stations and Meatloaf. This is very John. (laughs) But I tell you what, this is something Robin and I have discussed in our private moments how in a world that is obsessed with retro culture meatloaf gets such a bad rap whereas actually he he's kind it was so ahead of the retro curve i love meatloaf so much and jim steinman obviously died earlier this year yes, that yeah. massive if you, i mean you, when he writes for Celine Dion, when he writes for mm. uh, Bonnie Tyler, it, those massive, nonsensical... I mean, I'm mm. sure in his head there's some bizarre heavy metal world where bats do come out of caves and, and bright eyes turn round. But that that absolute, overblown, unapologetic, proper 70s heavy metal, you can't you yeah. cannot beat it. And it's, it is quite complex as well. These are sort of orchestrations. They're not just... They're not epic songs in the sense that they sort of noodle on and on and on with a mad sort of guitar solo for three minutes. They are movements and they are stories and they're stories of sort of youth and of passion and of emotions so strong that they can only really be placed in a fantasy world. What's your favourite Meatloaf song, just out of interest? Um, Paradise by the Dashboard Light because it it felt so rude when I was kidding. I think I first got my first copy of that album, I think it was 11. And so, yeah. you know, and this again shows how hands off my parents were. Um, <laughs> and I, I just thought it was the rudest thing I'd ever heard, and I loved it. <laughs> it's, I mean, he had, Meatloaf's had an insane career. If you think about it, so Battle of Hell was that 70s or early 80s? Late 70s. Late, yeah, 70s, late 70s. By the 90s, you just think, oh, you know, that was a bit of fun in the 70s. Maybe it's a bit naff now. No, Bat Out of Hell 2 is coming out and that's going to be one of the biggest records of the 90s. It's just like, you just how did that happen? It's insane. Although he's, he's the kind of sort of retro person where who, if someone said, oh, he's, he's on Twitter, I wouldn't follow him because I think it would probably be 30 mm. seconds before he said something dodgy. I have to hold my hand up and say I actually prefer Bat Out of Hell 2 to Bat Out of Hell 1. <laughs> and my... My favourite Meatloaf song is Objects in the Rearview Mirror May Appear Closer Than They Are, which is something like 13 minutes long. <laughs> and it's a super tortured metaphor. It goes on, kind of get, get to your point, Jim, come on. Yeah. And that point, oh, oh, amazing. What a fantastic choice. Thank you so much for adding that to the jukebox. I'm going to really annoy Robin by just putting it on repeat. (laughs) So we've had your jukebox choice, uh, the superb Bad Out of Hell by Meatloaf. Uh, But you've got one space left at the bar for a wild card choice. Uh, You've got two draft, two bottles, two spirits. But what is your final sixth choice? Um, and it has to be pronounced like this: Campari soda, the premix <laughs> that you get on your holidays. And I'm, mm. I know that it is the marmite of uh, liqueurs. Some people think it tastes like earwax. 
I love Campari soda. That is my absolute mm. summer drink. And I and I will not accept Aperol Spritz. It is not the same. It has to be mm-hmm. the syrupy red. Goes a bit crystallised at the bottom of the cocktail cabinet. Um, proper Campari soda. So is this, when you say pre-mixed, is this coming out of a pump or is this, it's a bottle of Campari? It comes out. I think the only place I've seen it is Italy. Um, yeah. And it, and I was, it was my first holiday in Italy. And I, you know, when you get somewhere, you go, oh, I actually don't speak much of the language. Yeah, um, and I went up to the bar in the hotel and saw the red thing and something like that. And he went, "Oh, Campari soda." Uh, gave it a bit of a shake in the bottle, put it over some ice, and my life was changed. Oh, so uh, it's just just to be clear for the records: is it a bottle of Campari or what's it coming in? In and out, it, it's a little individual bottle, so it's, it's ah. the premix. It's already got the soda in, and you just pour it right. out. Right. Great, and I, and oh, I seem to remember it's, it's in the same shape almost as the orange, the classic Orangina bottle as well. Oh, I'm going to look it up in my mind, just so I can get a. Oh wow, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm seeing one that's almost like a sort of pyramid shape. Oh yes, they did that one as well. Yeah. Oh, that looks very pleasing. I mean, I am one of those people who thinks it tastes like earwax, but I I wonder if the disappointment is is heightened by how sweet it looks. It, it does look like pop. It absolutely yeah. looks like pop, but I, mm. I, the drier, which is why I like gardens as well, the drier a drink, the better for me. Mm. And and if I'm having a cocktail, because Leeds does have cocktail bars as well, it will be a Negroni, but I can only have the one or else um, I'm, I'm promising people my money and generally getting into <laughs> shenanigans. So, um, yeah. You're barred. Well, what a pub, Lisa. Yes. You've just created such a blend of things. The 70s carpet, the red velvet bonquette, the quiz machines and posters advertising the term, the budvar bottled, the stubbies to take out into the dodgy field behind where children play and people camp out, the Yorkshire gold and Theakston's Christmas ale on tap. Gordon's Gin and Jameson's Whiskey, very versatile spirits uh, that you have. And finally, your little taste of Italy, Campari Soda pre-mixed bottle. All these things you have in your dream pub. But you are allowed to make sure that something is not in there. So what are you barring? Karaoke. Your... I, 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 I didn't even have to think about <laughs> yes, it. Karaoke. I love you said yeah. that so quickly. Yeah. That's good. What is it about karaoke that uh, makes you think it's coming nowhere near your tavern um because people always so it, there are two kinds of karaoke singers the the ones who, who think they have the voice mm. um who will torture something written by jim steinman because they think they're celine dion are the ones who do it to be funny and usually pick your favorite song to be funny about so uh. i i take great offense uh, at both um, ilks of karaoke and karaoke always seems like a you know a really fun idea until someone actually picks the mic up and then it's just excruciating well also there's a third person which is the genuinely very talented singer and they're the most annoying of all yeah i would much rather watch someone approach the chorus of angels by robbie williams who hasn't quite taken on board just how hard that is to sing than watch someone nail it in a sort of really uh, showy way. I, I remember once doing My Sweet Lord and just got, thinking, God, there's a lot of Harry Krishnas at the end of this. It just, it's about, it's one of those things where it always seems like a good idea, 
but the em- embarrassment gets to you after a couple of minutes. <laughs> thinking I can style this out. I remember you doing My Sweet Lord in a karaoke bar in Bristol and the guitar, the instrumental section, you know where it comes up on the screen, it just says brackets, guitar solo or instrumental and you just break danced for about a minute and a half. Oh, I mean, that's no. impressive. Oh, yeah. Come on. <laughs> I think also the thing about the boom of karaoke booths is when you actually realise what's going on, it's... It's so bleak. It's like four or five <laughs> people sat in a six foot by ten foot cell singing at sort of a screen. It's quite mad. There, there are weird. better examples of Japanese culture that we have adopted in this country. <laughs> yes. Karaoke is yeah. not one of them. Hurry up, please. It's time. Okay, well, there's not going to be a karaoke machine or any backing CDs anywhere near your pub. Uh, but finally, before we let you take this pub away with you, Lisa, to, to have when you need it the most, uh, what are we calling this pub? So obviously it has to be uh, something Yorkshire-y and something writery. So I'm calling it the Three Brontes. Oh, lovely. Brilliant. Did you see, I'm sure you did, the Sally Wainwright film about the Brontes. Absolutely. And that's why it's the Three Brontes, not the Four Brontes, because if it hadn't yeah. been for the useless brother... They might yes. still be alive now. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Bramwell, this we're banning Bramwell and karaoke from. Uh, is that? Is that? Yeah, that was his name, wasn't it? It was, and, and <laughs> one of them died because they went to his funeral because he was useless and an alcoholic. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm quite aggrieved on behalf of my uh, Yorkshire sisters. Oh, the three Brontes. Well, my mum would be very impressed. She's from Ripon and uh, a big Brontes fan. And I think that's a very fitting name for this pub. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for for sharing your time with us and for creating the Three Brontes. We get to play you out with a song from uh, your album, Bat Out of Hell. So if you had to pick one song out of there for us just to have a little strain of as you leave the moon underwater, what would it be? The the opening riff of, of Bat of Hell, the title track, is magnificent. Yes. So I, sh- I shall saunter out to that. We wish you well with it, and maybe one day when we next return to Leeds and venture further than Whitelocks, you could perhaps show us some of the wonderful pubs that Leeds have to offer. I absolutely promise. Thanks for having me, guys. And there Lisa goes with the three Brontes tucked very neatly under her arm, and we do wish her well. Folks, next week is a very special week here in the Moon Underwater, as we welcome a real big figure in the Mind Palace, a broadcaster of some renown. In fact, the broadcaster. It's Mr Tony Blackburn. That's right. The wands will be crossed. It's a big day. I'm very excited. I'm quite nervous. I can't wait to chat to Tony. Robin, what are your thoughts and feelings? Nervous about meeting Mr. Poptastic himself, but I cannot wait to hear what his choices are. Absolutely. I cannot wait to hear some of his great chat. And also, folks, if you want to see some of these podcasts recorded live, then do go to moonunderpod.com to find tickets for our live shows Sundays in August and September in Chiswick in West London, not too far from the M25 and not too far from the M4 corridor. What do you think about it, really? I'm looking at you, Reading. I'm looking at you, Bracknell. I'm looking at you, Slough, Newbury. 
Winnersh, Taplow, get involved. So hopefully see you there. And uh, thanks once again to Lisa Holdsworth for creating such a fantastic pub. Cheers. 